great God that we serve. And all songs were so fitting today to that truth uh, that uh, God is worthy of praise. And may that uh, may that be a song and uh, may that be a message that we we sing and may it be a message that's on our heart today. Let's pray and ask God to help us and give us understanding this morning. Father, I need your help as the word is preached. I need to say the things that ought to be said. And I pray that today you would take your word and apply it to hearts and that you touch our hearts with the truth of Psalm 29. We need your your help. We need your understanding. And we pray that, uh, that you would clearly teach us what we need to learn. And we'll thank you for what you'll do and for the strength you'll provide in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a, a music minister who told about his experiences, and here's what he said. In 1974, Dan and I lived in Urbana, Ohio, a town of about 25 to 30,000 people. I was employed as a church minister of music. We were in the midst of preparation for Easter musical, and early one morning I left home in bright sunshine to drive to the church. I was supposed to meet other men who had agreed to help build a special stage for the presentation we were going to have on Easter Sunday. I reached the auditorium before the other men, and I heard the fire alarm sound. It seemed rather strange. The church, though, had a preschool and a group of about 220 children inside the building. Well, I rushed into the vestibule of the auditorium where painters who were working at the church were helping the children go down into the basement from the upper floors. So I realized something was going on. I looked out the front door of the auditorium and saw three funnel clouds. A tornado was headed straight toward our church. I could see roofs of homes being ripped off and spun around in the sky as if they were toothpicks. I quickly went to every phone in the building, and they were all busy. Obviously, most people were trying to call their family. I was trying to call my wife to make sure she didn't come in the direction of the church. Well, I remembered there was, this was a few years ago, wasn't it? There was a payphone about a mile down the street. So I rushed to my car, a Delta 88 Oldsmobile, and sped toward the payphone. The circular winds, which I later learned were clocked at 360 miles an hour, were just too much. I had to pull into a drive through at the bank for protection. But I became fearful that the building that I was under would collapse on me while I was still in my car. Well, I looked toward a shopping center, the Kennedy Corner Shopping Center, about 300 feet away. A man was in the doorway of Western, Western Auto Store, and he was motioning frantically for me to come in his direction. I drove toward him. And when I reached the front of the store, the winds were so strong, I couldn't get my car to come to a complete stop. I jumped out, ran inside. A man at the back of the store had his hands over his wife, and he was screaming God's name. I dove under a sofa nearby, and suddenly the whole Kennedy Center shopping center came crashing down on us. I was buried alive. I remember in the frantic moments calling Jan's name and the names of my children, Craig and Chris, as the building crumbled. I prayed for them. I thought I'd never see them again. And somehow... Rather strangely, the words of an old hymn came to mind. Oh, Jesus, I have promised to serve you to the end. Immediately, that moment, I surrendered my future and my life 
to his control. I was in complete darkness. I wondered if I was dead for a moment. Then I realized I was alive because I pinched my forehead and felt pain. I began to try to dig out. I was screaming for help because I sensed that I was entombed. Nobody was answering. I felt some panic. After I don't know how long, I was able to pull some debris toward me and saw a light. I struggled through that opening and got myself free. As I looked around, I realized that our city lay in total ruins. I went under the sofa with everything intact and came out a little while later and everything was gone. A lady was sorely wounded. I frantically tried to find my car to get her medical help. I couldn't find it. I saw a police officer, but he was dazed and in a trance. He couldn't even speak. He was no help. I then ran toward the church. It was about a half mile away, and in my half mile sprint, I saw nothing recognizable. When I reached the church, I saw the pastor standing in the frame of a doorway. There was nothing else. He informed me that the children had all been safe in the basement, but the church building was gone, along with his home next door. In the middle of the street, there was a dead man. He tried to save a little girl, and he was killed. Late that evening, finally, around 11 o'clock, I was reunited with my family. They were safe. I hugged them more closely than ever. Three days later, the pastor walked with me to the ruins of the shopping center. We saw a National Guardsman digging through debris at that time, about where my car had been. I began asking a few questions, and one of them said, Did you drive a Delta 88? I said, yes. He immediately turned to the other guy and said, you can stop looking. Someone had seen me get out of my car, but couldn't find me after a storm had passed. They were looking for me. My pastor had lost everything except his family. We both stood there in tears. And he said these words, you know, Stephen, the Lord doesn't promise that he will take us out of life's storms. But he does promise to be in the storms with us. I'm thankful today that we have a God who's with us in the storms of life. I'm thankful that no matter what happens in life and no matter what goes on in life and no matter what things take place in our lives, there's a God who's still in control. The songs we sang this morning reminded us of that very truth. We serve a great God. Stephen, the the music minister in that church, found that to be true, as as did his family, as did his pastor, as did the, the 220 children whose lives were spared, and the many others who made it through that tragedy in in Ohio. You see, uh there is a God who is a God of the storms of life. And he is a God who provides his help to his children. And David wrote a number of beautiful psalms about that truth. I think Psalm 29 is one of them, where he describes for us a great God, a God of the storm. It's labeled uh, as the 29th Psalm, and I want to draw your attention there this morning to contemplate the important message we find in this chapter. It starts out with a pretty powerful statement, Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. 
So he comes out with a very powerful statement right at the beginning. We're going to call it the exclamation, and I'll talk about it in a moment or two. But we kind of got to understand something, and something that I shared with, actually, uh, with you, those of you that were here on Wednesday recently. Because as we've been in the book of Proverbs, we mentioned the fact that Proverbs is a book of Hebrew poetry. It is. Proverbs are poetic in nature. They follow the lines of Hebrew poetry. And the book of Psalms is also a, a, psalm, a, a song or songs of poetry. They consist of poetry, Hebrew poetry. Let me just mention something for those that haven't been here on Wednesday night, all right, if you've missed it. Hebrew poetry is different than, than English poetry, okay? English poetry is based in many cases upon rhyme. It's based upon and has a rhythm to it, and it's very important. It's based mainly on sound. Hebrew poetry is based on truth, which I think is great. It takes a truth, it shares the truth, and it shares it in lines that are many times symmetrical in the Hebrew language, if we were able to read it in the Hebrew. Uh, it would be lines that, that follow, and they follow different orders and different patterns, just as there is very varying types of poetry in the English language. So Hebrew poetry is the same. Sometimes Hebrew poetry starts with uh, information, and it kind of gives you and builds that information. It comes to a climax at the end and teaches truth. It's like in ascending order, there are truths. Sometimes Hebrew poetry starts at the top, at the main point, and then it descends, all right? Or uh, I guess we say ascends, or whatever, okay? No, descends, yeah. Ascending, descending, whatever. You got the idea, all right? Anyway, at least I hope. This is one of those descending psalms. It starts with the main point. And then the rest of the psalm is going to help us as it moves forward to understand in many reasons, what he's telling us to do in verses 1 and 2. It's a wonderful psalm. It's picturesque. And so I give you the main point first, and then we digress. But I'll tell you something as we digress, because we're not going to digress. The truth found after the first two verses are wonderful as well. And the psalm ends with a wonderful truth that is the, the, can be the, real, the realistic experience of every believer in this room. So let's look, first of all, at the exclamation, because that's what we have right at the beginning of this psalm. As he begins this this poem, he says, give unto the Lord. I mean, it's a real powerful statement, and it's straightforward. I mean, you can't help but get the idea that, look, we're just hitting the, we're hitting it right at the start. We're not going to move into this nicely and sweetly, and we're not going to just give you some nice uh, flowery words. We're just going to tell you right up what you need to be doing. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. So we have an exclamation. There's, first of all, something to give. The psalmist doesn't want to waste time painting a glorious picture. He's actually going to do it afterwards. Okay? What he wants us to do is be arrested with the truth that God is worthy of praise and that you are to be the one that gives it to him. Give unto the Lord, uh, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Now, we are first told who is to be given something. It says, give unto the Lord. That is Yahweh. That is the word used there is the eternally self-existent one, the God of heaven and earth, the one who needs no one to exist, unlike you and I, who need God to exist. You and I need God to keep our heart beating. You and I need God to keep our, 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 our health, to give us everything that we have. But God needs no one. He is the self-existent, the eternally 
self-existent one. He always was. He always will be. And this God is the one that you are called upon very abruptly at the beginning of the psalm. Give him praise. He is certainly worthy. In fact, give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. That is what God tells us to do. And twice he repeats this call. In the Bible, there is a law that sometimes we mention. It's called the law of twice mentioned. If you see something mentioned once and then it's mentioned again and it's mentioned in successive order, there's a reason why it's done that way. It's to give it emphasis. It would kind of be like, you know, extra exclamation points. At least that's the idea that I get. It's like, you need to get this message, people. And he does that here right at the beginning. Give unto the Lord. Give unto the Lord in the next verse. So he wants us to know this is vitally important. This is a message that needs to be heard. This is a message that needs to be spoken because we are to speak it to the self-existent God of heaven and earth. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. So we have the who. We have the what. Look at the end of verse 1. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I thought, that's strange. Okay, no one else thinks it's strange, but I do. I mean, how can I give God glory and strength? I mean, who am I? And what kind of strength do I have to give to him? So what is God talking about, and what is the message that the author is trying to to get across? Well, the truth of the matter is, God is already filled with glory and strength. I can't give him any more. So why does the author tell us then to give to the Lord? Well, we got to understand that word give. It's used in a number of different ways in Scripture. And in this verse, its meaning, its idea, its intent is to ascribe to God. So when he says, give unto the Lord glory and strength, when he says that this is my job, this is my responsibility, he's not saying you are to give God your strength because you don't have any to give him. Okay, you're not to give God any glory that you have, although God is to be glorified in all that you do. You are to glorify him. You can't give him any glory because he has all the glory in in the world. All right. There's no one more glorious than God. So the point is you're to ascribe these things to God. You're to tell him such because he is such. We are commanded. We're called upon. We're challenged to recognize that God is the glorious one and God is the all powerful one. And I'm telling you something. I'm glad he is today because I need it. I don't know about you, but I need someone who's bigger than me to handle the difficulties of life. Just as that music minister experienced in his own life, I have had situations in my life where I need someone bigger than me. In fact, the truth is, today I need someone bigger than me. And every day of my life, I need someone greater than me and someone with more glory than I have. And that is my God, and he is to receive glory and strength. Now, as we look at Psalm 29, verse 1, he does tell tell us that there's a specific person who's supposed to give it. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. You say, well, wait a second. He isn't including me in this psalm because I'm not mighty. Well, I am glad you brought out that point. The psalmist seems to be in his exclamation here at the beginning, calling upon others that would be at least a, a number of authors seem to believe this. People that would be kings and rulers and other things like that. You say, well, well, why would the psalmist do that? First of all, because he was one. And he understood that sometimes mighty people think they're self, 
sufficient. That mighty people sometimes think they're mighty because of what they've done. Mighty because of who they are. And some who are mighty might think, well, you know, I don't really need God. And so when he calls out to people, he wants everyone to understand whether you're mighty or whether you're weak, whether you're strong or whether you have no power at all, whether you are a person who is influential in this world or you have no influence at all, it does not matter. God deserves for you to ascribe to him glory and strength because he is indeed a great God. I don't care if you're the greatest rule in the world. I don't care if you're the most influential man or woman in this entire universe. God still deserves to be glorified and honored by you. That is the message of this psalm. There is no one that this psalm doesn't doesn't reach. So this morning, if you don't consider yourself mighty, that's okay. You still have a job to do because God is the one who provides the strength to you and he deserves glory and strength no matter who you may happen to be. And notice this as well. He says, give unto the Lord in verse 2, the glory due unto what? His name. Let me share with you something that's that's very important. The rest of this psalm is going to be that descending psalm, okay? Teaching us reasons why. But if nothing else was written here, God deserves glory and strength because of his name. So often, when we talk about praising God, we praise God because of what he's done. Come on, seriously, when we give testimonies on Sunday evenings, I I love doing it, and it's good, and it's important. And I appreciate, I am thankful that people are recognizing that God is working in their lives. This is what's supposed to be happening. We should be praising him for what he does. But let me share with you a truth that whether God ever does anything for you, and he does, he daily blows you with benefits. But whether God ever does anything for you or not, he still deserves glory and strength. He is a glorious God, and he is a very powerful God. And whether or not he is doing anything on your behalf, although he is, this is the sideline, this psalm is calling upon you to praise him because his name is powerful, because his name is glorious. He is God. He is Jehovah. He is the creator of the universe. He is the ruler over all, and no matter what he does, he still deserves praise. And by the way, uh, Stephen had to learn that in the situation he faced. And quite honestly, you and I have to learn that as well. Because sometimes we don't feel like praising. Sometimes, sometimes we're weak. Sometimes we don't necessarily see the hand of God because uh, it seems like the storm clouds are, are dark. We see funnel clouds, and it's hard at those times to praise God. But let me tell you, whether or not God appears to be doing anything on behalf of your life, he is still worthy of your praise every day, every moment. And even if you are in the darkest day, you're buried under a sofa in a shopping center because you have been in the midst of a tornado and you're still alive, God at that moment deserves praise. His name is glorious. And his power is evident, and it's found just in his name, Jehovah. Let me tell you, friends, this morning, that is what the psalmist calls upon us to do. And we it would behoove us to learn the lesson. There is something for us to give in the exclamation. But there's something for us to do. Look at the end of verse 2. He says, worship the Lord in the beauty 
of holiness. This abrupt command continues with a thought-provoking statement. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. I asked it, or said it kind of as a question because you want to ask yourself, don't you, what does that mean? It's a reminder that praise isn't to be done just with our lips. Come on, it's honest. Anyone can speak words, right? Haven't you had your, your kids, tell, you know, like, yeah, I love you, Mom. Anyone can say words. All right, it's Mother's Day in two weeks, right? And every every kid's going to be saying that. All right, look, moms, what would you much rather prefer? The kid who comes up and gives you a, a kiss in the morning and says, I love you, and then doesn't do anything you tell them to do the rest of the day. Or a kid that maybe would forget to say I love you, but the rest of the day does everything you tell them immediately with a good attitude. What would you rather? Wouldn't you rather obey? You say, well, yeah, both. <laughs> Thanks. All right. I knew someone would do that. I expected it to be someone else. I'm not going to mention any names. No, I, I, no, I'm not even going there. Not this morning. I determined I'm not going to make not going to make any statements about my good friend today. All right, but. Uh, here, here's the truth. You, you would like both. I, I know that. In fact, this psalm is telling us both. But the last phrase is reminding us that our, our, our praise needs to come from our heart. In fact, it needs to come from a life that's holy. Now, some people argue that the phrase is dealing with in the temple. It's that we're to worship God in, in, in holiness, and they say that that's referring to the temple. Some writers do. Other writers, though, say, and I think it's more accurate to say this, that what he's talking about is a hard attitude. Now, if he's saying we're to do it at the temple or at the place of worship, at God's holy place, that's fine. That's appropriate. That means today, when you sang the songs, you had an opportunity to praise God. I'm fine with that. But in reality, the language seems to picture, at least to me, that we're talking about how we're supposed to do it, the kind of person that we're supposed to be. So that God doesn't want to just hear words, just like a mom doesn't want to hear on Mother's Day, I love you, and then have a kid who's who's like fighting with his sister all day. You understand that? What a mom wants is that he, she wants that, oh, oh, that heart that is right, that's obedient, that's listening, that says, yes, I love you, and then shows it by her actions, by her heart. And so this psalm reminds us right at the in this exclamation, give to the Lord glory and strength. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So with a holy heart, with a holy life. And that word worship means to adore, but it also means to, to, to bow the knee, to, to, to humble yourself. Just like you would come before a great ruler. We, we wouldn't in our day. Today, we, we don't even have that kind of situation. But in, in David's day, no one would come before a king just walking in like, hey, how you doing, man? You would come before a king prostrate. You would fall on your knees if you had a request. Or if you even wanted to say something, you would probably start out by praising the king. Because you would show respect for who he is. And that is what we're called upon to do. So it's not just, hey, let's sing today how great thou art. But let's sing today how great thou art with a humble heart and a holy life that says God You are a great God and you're worthy of praise. And I just want you to know it today. I'm nothing. You're everything. 
And, and my friends, if you understand those first two verses, you understand the most important part of, of this of this entire psalm, because that is the message that the psalmist wanted to get a, across. So you say, Pastor, you're done. Unfortunately for you, I'm not. But that's because the psalmist isn't. Because, as we said, Hebrew poetry has a method. It has a, a reason. It doesn't have a rhyme, as you and I would, would say it. But it does have a reason, and it has a thought, and it wants us to understand now the reasons why. And he's going to share with us in, in what follows. Uh, in fact, the, the whole next section, uh, he gives an explanation. So we have the exclamation. Now we have the explanation in verses 3 to 10. And it's a beautiful picture. Poetry sometimes takes an object or a thing and uses it to picture someone or something else. And such is the case in this song. Now, uh, it's interesting to me because we're going to see something mentioned over and over. Look at the verses. Yeah, it's, it's just us here. Let me go ahead, and I'm going to read them. And then you tell me. You see repeated over and over. It's pretty clear. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve and discovereth the forest. And in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. The Lord sitteth upon the flood. Yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. What's he talking about here? What's repeated? The voice of the Lord. So what's going on? Like I said, poetry is picturesque. So he's using a picture here. He's not telling us that we actually have heard or are hearing the voice of God, but every author or every writer that has come to this passage and, and studies it out says the same thing. They say that the voice of the Lord is represented here as thunder. Now, understand this. In a thunderstorm, you're not hearing the voice of God. Okay, just like you're not hearing the voice of God in a gentle breeze or you're not hearing the voice of God in some waterfall or anything else. This is a picture. He's trying to give us an illustration of and a picture that's going to help us understand why God is worthy of glory and strength. And he uses nature. Here he uses the voice of the Lord described as thunder or pictured as thunder to give us a power, a, a picture of a God who is a mighty God, an awesome God, and, and brings out many different things in these verses that are just a, uh, that are just really a great message to us today about how God is worthy of our praise. One author said this, the voice of Yahweh. There can be no doubt that the expression here, which is seven times repeated in the psalm, the voice of Jehovah, refers to thunder. And no one can fail to see the appropriateness of the expression. In heavy thunder, it seems as if God speaks. It comes from above. It fills us with awe. Another author said this, what follows concerning thunder, the voice of the Lord, gives us many reasons why he should have glory given him and be worshipped. The heathens paid devotion to thunder and lightning, but we 
should praise the author of thunder and lightning. So that's the picture that he's trying to paint for us. We serve a majestic, powerful, awesome God. And you know, when I think about it, thunder is a great way to describe the awesomeness of God. Isn't it? Come on, you've been sitting in your house, haven't you, at some time, where there's just this great bolt of lightning and a subsequent boom! That's right, I just woke you up, didn't I? And you jumped. You didn't expect it. And you were, you were, if you were just shocked. That, that's a great picture. I have also, uh, I've been in my house and that's happened a number of times. I've also been in my house and I've heard the rumble of thun- thunder. I mean, in a big storm. And you just hear it start and it builds and crescendos and it's just rolling along. It's like, you think, is this ever going to stop? This is, this is amazing. And you can see in the storm just the amazing power that's being evidenced. And so uh, the, the psalmist uses this beautiful picture to say, you serve a great God, people. And I want you to think about that today. So let's look at these verses. And if you would, there's no way, we can't outline this and say, this is the point he's trying to make here. This is the point he's trying to make here. He's using a picture. You understand that? But let me give you from some of these verses things that I've gleaned that I think are really encouraging to me and remind me about, as he uses this picture of the voice of God as thunder, remind me of the great God that I serve. Verse 3, the voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. Actually, two ideas that they propose by, by this statement that he's on the waters. Some believe that the waters refer to the oceans. And the psalmist may have very well been talking about being out on the Mediterranean Sea, where he would have seen and maybe been part of storms. I'll tell you something. I, I, I'm, I'm sometimes afraid enough when I'm at a storm, you know, like on, on land. But I can only imagine what it would be like to be in the midst of an ocean and have no place to hide and and see the lightning going all over and hear the rolling thunder and have the seas just billowing. Can can you imagine that? So the author, very possibly, at least this is one of the ideas proposed, is he's picturing this storm out on the seas. And it's a picture of, the, to me, I put the, the word awesome. Just the awesomeness of God's power and God's might and how weak and little we are. So here I am in the midst of this storm and I have no control over things and I can't do anything. It's all under the control of, of the one who's making the storm and that's God. And he is therefore one worthy to be praised because he is an awesome God. He is an awe-inspiring God. Now others say that uh, it's referring to, the, the waters are referring to the clouds. Sometimes the clouds are talked about in the Bible as the waters. And so uh, maybe he's talking about how the thunder and the lightning are in the, you know, in our picture, in our mind. We're not talking about some scientific explanation here. That the storm is in the clouds. And again, once again, we still get this picture of awesomeness. Here's this huge storm. And God is pictured, the voice of God is pictured as one that thunders. Look, if you would, at verse 4. The voice of the Lord is powerful. Well, hey, that one does give us a point, doesn't it? I, I don't I don't need to stretch anything there. Not only do we have an awesome God, but we have a powerful God. There is nothing and no one more powerful than he is. And you know, thunderstorms remind me of that. Not too long ago, I was driving to work, 
and uh, and a lightning bolt just out of nowhere just crashed to the earth, and then this you know huge boom, and it was just like caught my attention first of all, and I realized how how powerful storm thunder and lightning truly is. Um, you've probably seen things like that as well. Um, God's amazing power is seen not just in storms, it's seen everywhere, but it's far greater than anything you and I could ever imagine, and he deserves praise for that. We serve an all-powerful God, people. That's what we're reminded. The voice of the Lord is powerful. And then he says the voice of the Lord is full of majesty. He is magnificent, glorious. Now, maybe you're the kind of person that goes and hides in your room when a storm comes. I'm the kind of guy that goes and looks out the window. Yeah, I'm one of those nuts. I, I mean, I'm not a storm changer, chaser, okay? But, you know, if they tell me that there's, uh, there's a tornado, I don't know. I'm just, we're all different. But I'm one of those crazy people that I want to see where it is. And, and I don't know if I ever saw it and it was coming. <laughs> I don't know what I'd do. Probably just freeze. And that, that would be it. Then, then I'd. I'd be in a couple of different states, maybe, or something a little bit later on. Um, but when I have, when I've gone and, and looked out the window in terrible storms, um, they're, storms are majestic. They are. They are just, they're just awesome. You, you're reminded how how tiny you are. Here we go again, and how um, how little we have control of anything in this life. In a storm, I mean, you, you see it, you can see it coming, and you may think it's real small, but then when it gets over you, and you've got the lightning, and you've got the thunder, and the storm is just totally engulfed all around you. You can't see the end of it. You can't see the beginning any longer. And it goes, and you're thinking, when is it going to end? And you're just in awe about the majesty of the storm. So, so the psalmist wants you to think about that. The next time you're tempted to think your God is too small or your God isn't all that great. He is a majestic God. He is he is a grand God. He is far more wonderful and more amazing than you could ever think or imagine. He's magnificent and glorious. And um, what a fitting picture of God. In verse 5, the voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Any of you ever seen a, a, a tree that's been hit by lightning? Lightning is a strange thing. I, I mean, it, it just goes and some, does some really, really weird things. I had a friend who was once on a phone in his home during a lightning storm. And, uh, seriously, Seriously, he got shocked in the lightning storm. He was touching something metal and while he was on, was on the, yes, this is all one of those landline phones. Excuse me. Okay. It's a few years ago, a landline phone and a bolt of lightning hit right outside the house. And he believes that it came through the lines because he was shocked. He was really shocked pretty, pretty hard by what took place. Um, Lightning is an amazing thing. Thunder is also amazing. Well, actually, the thunder and lightning we often, often think of together, which gives us uh, not only a picture of 
of its wonderful power. But in this verse, it talks about how it breaks the cedars of Lebanon. Look, there is no tree that's bigger than and greater than a bolt of lightning and a thunderstorm. God has picked up uh, far bigger things and moved them in the midst of a storm. Just one storm. And it is a great reminder that, that um, well, I mean, if we want to make it uh, real simple, uh, he has great ability. Verse 5, he voice, his voice breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. And I, I always, always love it when authors get into all sorts of debate about what's being said. I don't really care what's being said in verse 6. You know, I have a hard time figuring out it exactly. Some people picture it as the trees that are uprooted in a storm and they're blown away, which has happened and, and takes place sometimes. Others say that the thunder and lightning is like, uh, the, like the mountains that God, almost like God is making mountains skip. You've been in a place where the ground was shaking because of a storm and things like that. I don't care what the picture is. The idea is this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? You know, if God can take, if God can take a pole in a, in the midst of a hurricane or, or, or a tornado and, and hurl that pole miles away and, and stick it through some building, then why should we ever question? I mean, that is just one aspect of one little thing that God is in control of in this world. So why should we think that anything is too hard for the Lord in our lives? This beautiful picture of the storm, and I know storms may not make everyone comfortable, but this beautiful picture of the storm just reminds us that, that look, if, if God can do these things in a storm and through a storm, then um, there's nothing too hard for our lives, for his, for him. In our lives. Verse 7. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. Though difficult, it seems like the writer is saying the thunder divides one flash of lightning from another. Which you've probably seen that and observed that as well. Uh, It tells us that the Lord divides each bolt of lightning and sends it where he will. I, I like to put it this way, his direction. He's in control. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that in a storm, God's in control? It doesn't mean that a church isn't going to lose its building. That church that Stephen was a music minister in did. doesn't mean that Christians won't lose their lives. doesn't mean that everything's going to be wonderful in life. But nothing is beyond his reach and nothing is beyond his power. He's in control. Never forget that. Now, whether the author wanted to make that point as he wrote this, Again, we we can't necessarily ascribe specific things because it's just a picture. But these are truths we can glean certainly from it. He's in control and he's directing all things. I love to think of the fact that that God is directing the lightning. Don't you? I love to contemplate the fact that, that, look, everything is designed and controlled by God. And it is. And he is worthy of praise. Verses 8 and 9. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. 
The voice of the Lord maketh behind the cab and discovereth the forest, and in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. Well, where is he talking about the storm now? The voice of the Lord shaketh. Where? The wilderness. Where no one is. Because it's wilderness. That's profound, isn't it? So what is the picture? I, I like to put it this way. His omnipresence. You know, even where men aren't, there are thunderstorms. Even where people don't live. God has storms and God feeds the the birds and God takes care of uh, the creatures that man doesn't even think about and doesn't care about. But God is everywhere present. You're reminded that in verse 8. And even we could argue in verse 9 as well that God is everywhere present. Although verse 9 gives a little different picture. Um, It seems to be a timid, expectant creature cowering in fear because of a great storm. And this creature is controlled by the awesome power and fury that a storm delivers and delivers her babies in an untimely fashion. But the picture is that God discovers the forest, that he's there. And he observes that. And he's in control of that as well. He's everywhere present. Nothing can hide from God. The last phrase, in his temple does everyone, I mean, he discovereth the forest. I'm sorry, that's what I wanted to say. That means... Uh, even the darkness of the forest is lit up as day before God. Nothing's concealed before him. So look, let's praise him. You see, we're, we're, we're descending. You say, man, pastor, it just keeps. No, I think it keeps getting better. Come on, people. It keeps getting better. Then verse 10 reminds us of this, his rule. All right. What do we find at the end of this psalm? Or as we get to the end, the Lord sitteth upon the flood Yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. Hey, the elements are his. The storms are his. Everything is his. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But no wonder the psalmist said, What is man that thou art mindful of him? When I consider thy heavens, when I consider the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. When I think about these things, when I ponder nature, when I consider a storm, when I consider the the grand power of God and the might of God to, to rule everything in this on this earth, to be in control of everything on this earth, to be in control of the stars, to put them in their places so that men can navigate by those things and yet not just navigate by them, but the God created the lights in the sky and that he keeps them in their places and that he rules over all. He is sitting on the throne today. I want to remind you of that. And he's worthy of praise because of that fact. Now, that doesn't mean that he's going to make everyone do everything that he wishes them to do. There's a lot of things that men do that are in opposition to him, but God's given man the opportunity to make choices. But let me tell you something, God's still in control. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that there is there is no one in, I, and I, this keeps coming back to mind because they keep making bad decisions every week. But there's no one in Washington, D.C. bigger than my God. And and there's no one uh, in this entire world greater than my God. And there's no situation that's beyond his reach. So praise him. So lift up your voices in, in song. So lift him up because God is the great God of the storm. 
the God of thunder, his voice is heard in each one of these things. And one other quick note about verse 10. I love this. He's seated. You say, is that significant? Yeah. Yeah. What, what does someone do in storms? What, is, what, what does the king do who's, who's having a lot of troubles and things are bad? No, 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 no. God's seated. I got this. I got it all under control. Nothing shocks me. Nothing scares me. Nothing moves me. I'm in control, people. God's seated in the storm. And he's seated as king. And he's not flustered about your situation. He's not saying, oh, look what happened to He's he's still there on the throne today, and he's still working. Look, that should encourage your heart. When we come to the psalm, and we're still going, we're going downhill fast. But we come to the last verse, and I got to tell you, the last verse was the greatest blessing to me. Because after I thought about all these things that God is in the storm, the voice of the Lord, and how the psalmist just called upon even the mighty people to raise their voices and praise God, who is the God of all things. He comes to the end, and um, and he shares with us a wonderful truth that could, should cause us as well to bow the knee before him today. And he tells us two things that he does for us as individuals. And to me, that was so precious. I come, I'm reading this psalm, and I'm thinking, wow, man, God is awesome. And then I come to verse 10, or verse 11, it's like, and it was like, wow, this is like a, a, a bomb, you know. It's like a, a healing bomb on the wound. It's like putting some ointment on the cut, cuts of life. Because he says, the Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Now, aren't those the two things you need in a storm? Aren't those the two things that go in a storm? Oh, look at how big this is. Man, this problem. I don't know what I'm going to do. I need strength. Peace is gone too, right? Oh, bent out of shape about what's going on. How can this turn out right? I need strength and I need peace. And... Quite honestly, although it's at the, the bottom of the list, it was the top of mine. Because that's what I need God to be for me. What about you? Hey, look, though God can be seen in the storm, and though, though God's mighty power is seen, God is still intimately concerned about you and your pains and what you need for life. Today. That's what verse 11 tells you. Yes, he's an awesome God. Yes, he's a majestic God. Yes, he sits on the thrones. Yes, he's in control. And yes, there is nothing he cannot do. But he cares about your 
need today. Isn't that awesome? To think that this God who is worthy of the most mighty person bowing the knee and saying, you are a God of strength and glory, that this God today provided you with the strength so that you could come to church, gave me strength to preach, gave you the ability to sing songs, has given you a home, has provided food and clothes. And he's the God who gives strength, and he's the God as well that can calm your heart, even though the storm's raging all around and the trees are blowing all over. He's the God who gives strength and peace. And that's what I exactly need him to be. And it's amazing to me that a God who could be so described in the first 10 verses could be shared so intimately and so personally in verse 11 when he says that with individuals, with his people, this is what God does. Because he loves them and cares for them. And I want you to know that he deserves praise because every day he's giving you strength for another day. And every day he's making his peace available. Now, whether we really experience that in its full is dependent a lot on how we're living. But the truth is that God has it available and he makes it available to his own. And quite honestly, you you can you can throw out the other verses as far as I'm concerned. No. As far as I'm concerned in the sense that verse eleven to me is reason enough to say thanks. That I just have a God who is intimately involved in my life, meeting the needs that I have. God gives strength. O God, thou art terrible out of thy holy places. The God of Israel is he that giveth strength and power unto his people. Blessed be God. We know the words in Isaiah 41, don't we? Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. In the late 1950s, a 23-year-old guy by the name of Armando Valadares was thrown into a Cuban prisoner, prison. He was a Christian. He remained there for 22 years. Executions were staged every night during his first year in prison. Later, he endured some of the most vile sadistic tortures imaginable. He wrote a book in his memoirs called Against All Hope, And he wrote these words, I sought God. I never asked him to get me out of here. I didn't think that God should be used for that kind of request. I only asked that he allow me to resist. That he give me the faith and spiritual strength to bear up under these conditions. I only prayed for him to accompany me. And he did. Paul spoke of that same provision in the New Testament when he said, I can do all things through Christ 
which strengthens me. He's the God who gives strength. He's the God who gives peace. Preacher said years ago, a major art gallery sponsored a competition for painters. They were offering prizes for the best painting, painting on the subject of peace. Painting that one was a surprise. You'd say, why was it a surprise? Well, the scene was ocean, and there was this violent storm. Sky was ominous. Lightning was cutting across the sky. Waves were crashing into the rock walls of the cliffs by the shore. And if you were to look at the picture and you weren't to look carefully, you'd say, where is peace in this? You had to look twice to understand what was going on. About halfway up the cliff, there was a bird's nest tucked into a tiny hollow in the rock. And a mother bird was sitting on that nest with her little babies tucked underneath, sleeping soundly. While the storm raged. Many of us could use that kind of peace right now. And that's the kind of peace that God gives. You see, the one to whom I'm to ascribe glory and strength to is the one who is meeting my needs today and is worthy. Let's all give the Lord glory and strength. Let's thank the peace-supplying, strengthening God of heaven and earth. And let's thank him that this God is in control. That is the message of Psalm 29. And it's a message that is needed in every age, at every time, and in daily life. We serve a great God, people. Let's praise him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.